Hey, it's Leah. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to tell you about this other show called Stuff the British Stole. It's from CBC Podcast and Australia Radio National, and it's got all the story elements I love. It's got colonial theft. It's got museums denying that theft. It's got intrigue. It's got jokes by Australians. Join host Mark Fresnel as he picks one artifact and takes you on the wild, evocative, sometimes funny, and often tragic adventure of how it got to where it is today. Check it out on the same thing that you're listening to this on or on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. This is the Secret Life of Canada Crash Course. Just a little bit of history. Hey, Leah. Hey, Phelan. So, Leah, do you remember a couple of seasons back when we did our episode on statues? Oh, how can I forget? Yes, we compared the famous five to Sex and the City characters. That is the one. (laughs) Well, you might remember in that episode, we put out a poll on our social media asking what in Canada should have a statue, a bag of ketchup chips, the Canada arm, or Drake? Uh, Yes, I do remember that. It was a very tight poll. Yes, Um, but there was one listener who had a better idea. Drake holding a bag of ketchup chips with the Canada arm. I loved it so much. It was Me incredible. Okay, well, this is that listener. I'm Raymond Biesinger, and I'm an illustrator and artist and sometimes author in a way, um, based in Montreal, but I spent a lot of my life living in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So Raymond reached out a while back to tell us that he was putting out a book with architecture critic Alec Bozikovic, and he offered to send along a copy. It's called 305 Lost Buildings of Canada, buildings that were torn down, burned down, or lost in other ways. Oh, okay. And it's a really cool book. It spans across Canada, looking at buildings like the Peter Pan restaurant in Charlottetown, Honest Ed's in Toronto, or the Lucky Lager Brewery in Victoria, all buildings that are gone now. But when I was reading the book, I kind of got sucked into Winnipeg, and so did Raymond. As far as Canada goes, I find Winnipeg fascinating because it, in a way it, it had a tremendous boom of building of uh, the 1890s to the like 1920s. And during that time, it was, I believe, Canada's second largest city. So you just have a lot of ideas, a lot of uh, almost an architectural explosion. It was like the Chicago of the North it was such a major rail terminus. And so anything of value needed to pass through there. It, it seems like in the last 50, 60 years, there's just be like a lot of those older, larger buildings have, have become aged and uh, people sought to get rid of them. I was with Raymond on this. When I read the book, there was something special about Winnipeg and it really drew me in. Was there a specific building in Winnipeg that he liked more than any other one? Well, yeah, he told me about the Canadian Bank of Commerce, a building constructed in the 1890s. But less than 20 years later, the bank was deemed too small and the building was dismantled and sent to Regina. (laughs) Then in the 70s, it was put back together in the Cornwall Centre, a mall in Regina. Wow, they put it back together again. So wait, there's a old bank building inside a mall? Well, not quite. Just the bank's facade was reconstructed. Raymond said he likes the building because... It's funny that at the very beginning, when this building was made, it was meant to imply permanence and stability. But this building essentially grew legs and walked, you know, a province away. (laughs) 
When I flipped through the book, I got fixated on the Shanghai restaurant, which was located at 238 King Street in Winnipeg. And Leah, you know me. I love my Chinese Canadian foods. Yes, you do. And I don't know if it's a cultural <laughs> thing, but I know a lot of Indigenous folks do. Okay, cool. I did not know that. Well, I don't know why. Because you know, it's but good it, food. But it's true. It's yeah. true. Yes, it is good food. And, you know, we, we even, I think we like it so much on my res, we even have a restaurant. Um, mm. Shout out to Erlen's. Oh, are you trying to get some sort of endorsement today? No. I mean, I would not say no. Erlen's, <laughs> hit me up. Okay, so what is it about the Shanghai restaurant specifically? Initially, what caught my eye is that it just looks really cool. The building was bright yellow, and it sort of had these rounded edges to the corners. And the sign out front was a really cool bright red neon sign. Inside, the vinyl booths were turquoise and gold and sparkly, and there were painted murals of Chinese landscapes on the walls. But once I got past the look of the place, I started looking into the history of the building, and things got interesting. Okay, so tell me more. I'm assuming it wasn't always a restaurant. It was not. The building was constructed in 1883, and very early on, it was used as a temporary city hall for Winnipeg. There was actually another structure that was supposed to be city hall, but the building was constructed on a poorly filled-in creek, so it was pretty evident that it was going to collapse, so they had to tear it down. So the city set to work building a new city hall, one adorably called the Gingerbread House. Really? They called it the Gingerbread House? That's Mm -hmm. very, very sweet. Hopefully it was more secure than actual gingerbread, though, because... We should not be using that architecturally in our food housing construction. You know, it should be frosting, gumdrops, and clamshells or something. Something secure. Okay, well, (laughs) sure. (laughs) But I think it was called that just because it looked like a gingerbread house, not because it was made from actual food. Gotcha. Yeah, it was a pretty ornate looking building. But it too went the way of lost buildings and was torn down in the 60s. So between 1883 and 1886, while Winnipeg built the Gingerbread House, municipal politicians set up shop at 238 King Street. Once the politicians moved out, the building was used by land surveyors, a women's Christian temperance group, and a hardware store. In 1929, the Nanking Sui House moved in. The owners eventually sold the restaurant, and in 1941, the Lee family took over the space. They tweaked the name of the restaurant ever so slightly to the New Shanghai Chop Suey Noodle House. And so were there many other Chinese restaurants in town at this time? There were a couple. The Chinese community in Winnipeg had been developing since the 1870s. It was mostly a bachelor society, meaning men who were married but whose partners weren't living in Canada. Right. So they would just be there to work and send money home. We covered some of this history in season two on our episode on the oldest Chinatown in Canada. Yes. As the years progressed, the restaurant was simply known as the Shanghai, and it would become a neighborhood fixture for the Chinese community and for many in the city. I found my way onto the Vintage Winnipeg Facebook group. I I belong to so many history Facebook groups. <laughs> now it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, and, and someone in that group shared a photo of the Shanghai, and it had over 400 comments and almost as many shares. So people really love the place, I take it. Well, well loved. Past tense. Remember, the building is gone now. In 2010, the owners announced they wanted to sell. After 70-plus years, business had slowly been declining. Wow, 70 years. I mean, that is an incredible long time for a restaurant. It is. It is. 
Yeah, and for a time, the plan was to sell the building to the Winnipeg Chinatown Development Corporation so it could be torn down and then turned into a living complex, but that never happened. Of course. I did a Google Street View, and there sits a parking lot where the Shanghai restaurant used to sit, and it's just an empty lot. Pave paradise, put up a parking lot. That's what they they do now. They mm-hmm. pave over the trees and the nice buildings, so mm-hmm. Joni was right. It's sad. The Shanghai was a place where so many people had wedding rehearsals, would go on New Year's Day, Christmas Day, where families shared many special occasions and made memories. On Vintage Winnipeg's Facebook group, I started reading some of those 400 comments, and it made me think about place, memory, and history, and how you can't really separate one from the other. I reached out to Eric Lee on Facebook. His family owned the business, and he wrote me back with some of his thoughts on what the restaurant meant to him and his family. This is Cecil Fernandez, one of our executive producers, reading Eric's message. The Shanghai restaurant was in my family for about 70 years. When I was a kid, I often bust tables during busier days. Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas Day, New Year's Day. When I got older, I was the weekend bartender, working there each weekend from my late teens until my mid-twenties. In my humble opinion, food doesn't have to be authentic to be good. It just has to be delicious. And that was Shanghai. Sometimes people ask me if I have any recipes, and I abashedly say no. So often I encounter people who mention their love for the restaurant, and how it created so many memories for them across generations. How they loved the gold boots, or a certain dish, or how they had the same waiter for 20 years or more. I didn't get it until later. A little while ago, someone contacted me asking if I had any old menus, if they could get one as a memento. Amazing. In the last few years of the restaurant, no family members of my generation wanted to take it over. I like to think that for the most part, the previous generation probably preferred it this way. Restaurant life is difficult, and no one really wanted any more of it. Business wasn't as good as it was in the glory years of the 50s to the 80s for whatever reason. It was time for my uncle and dad to retire. The kids all went on to white-collar careers. It's a bit sad it closed, but the restaurant served our family and the community well. It was a resounding success, the foundation on which our family established a better life and future in Canada. I asked Raymond why he thinks memories of places like the Shanghai endure. I love these stories so much, like throughout the lost buildings that we selected, there are so many restaurants for like exactly this reason, because like, yes, there are the official buildings that are like well-documented, but there are all these other like important community centers, like, and, and then you can read through just like even Yelp reviews or these bizarre Facebook groups so much like oral history this has been a very internet researched book and it is amazing as the internet gets taken more seriously you can start using it as a primary source and finding these incredible stories that are so incredibly relatable and show like the diversity and the vitality of all these different things that you know you can't access directly um it's fantastic i love it dearly (laughs) 
More and more history is being shared on social media and spaces that some might consider unconventional. But I kind of love that, that these virtual spaces can connect us to these buildings and businesses that are gone now. And I love that a picture of an exterior of a restaurant can stir so much memory. I think that's pretty special. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.